Well, let's take our Bibles this morning. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 8. We continue our series overall through the book of Matthew, and particularly this series of messages, Actions Speak Louder Than Words. Let me um, just share with you something about the, the Deacon Yoke Fellow. And many of you know what this is. Some of you may not. And uh, the Yoke Fellow really is a training program for deacons. They go through uh, four or five months of uh, training as a deacon, kind of yoked up to another deacon who is already serving. And then in July, August, 1st of August, end of July, we then ordain these men to the deacon ministry. And so if you have anyone that you feel, especially from your small group class, that you feel like they meet the qualifications on the back of this, then we would invite you to go ahead and put their name in. Again, you say, well, I don't know whether they're qualified or not, but I think they are. Well, go ahead and put them down because we, we, our deacons interview them anyway before they get started. And so uh, just go ahead and please do that and then place it in the offering plate here in a little bit when it's passed. Matthew chapter 8, beginning in verse 20, 21, rather in verse 1. Be going through verse 22 here in just a few moments. Large passage, so you're going to have to listen kind of quick. And uh, as, we, as we do this, you know, I, I don't know how, have you ever had a, maybe a promise that you've made that you look back on, you really didn't keep it? Or somebody comes to you and says, well, my, my life's new, you know, my life's changed, Jesus come into my life, and now things are totally different from the way they were before. And skept- you're a little skeptical, and you say, well, let me, let me see how you're going to live. Or maybe you are... Uh, your, your, one of your neighbors has come to you and you've been talking to them about the Lord and they're watching your life because they're going to want to know is what you're living out in your daily life really what you're professing. And that's why actions speak louder than words. Now, words are important. That's how we communicate. The Word of God is crucial. It's vital. But the actions behind the words show the heart. It shows the real reality of what you are speaking. Now, as we open up to Matthew chapter 8, and the reason for the title of the message or the series is because, as you know, in a little bit of review, Matthew wrote his gospel to a Jewish audience. And because of that, uh, he, was, he was bridging the gap between the Old and the New Testament. Now, Luke, for example, wrote his gospel to Gentiles. And so his approach was uh, really t- different, even though the stories were the same. His intent was totally different, really, than Matthew. Matthew was trying to bring this Jewish audience along. And so he shows them a couple, tells them about a couple of miracles, and then Jesus begins to preach the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount was given to us to let us know how lost we are. The Bible says, Jesus said at one point in Matthew 5, be perfect as my Father in heaven is also perfect. And we know that None of us are perfect. And we imagined ourselves uh, in that crowd that day as Jesus was preaching the Sermon on the Mount. And there are different Jewish people there thinking to themselves, hey, I'm okay. After all, I was born to Abraham. I don't need a savior. I I need a military conqueror, not a savior. But Jesus was showing them that indeed they did need a savior. And then now that he's gotten through the Sermon on the Mount, he comes up to Matthew chapter 8 and basically saying, okay, you need a Savior. I'm going to show you that I am that Savior. And you can imagine some of the people out of that crowd thinking to themselves, I've got to follow this man. He's not only performed miracles in the past, we could read about in Matthew 3 and 4, but also he teaches one, as in verse 28, one, chapter 7, verse 28, one who has authority. And so now they're following him around, and they're 
witnessing all the miracles that are taking place in the next few chapters. Now, there's a pattern here. There's a pattern that Matthew has of showing three miracles and then having Jesus give a call to commitment. And then three more miracles and another call to commitment. This is the pattern that we see in these, uh, in these verses, in these chapters. We want to look at that first set this morning of miracles and then the call to commitment. Because that's what Jesus is doing. He's sharing with them, they need a Savior, you need a Savior. And then he's showing them that he indeed is that Savior, the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior of the world. And as we open up this passage and talk about miracles a little bit, I've heard it said that many people do not believe in miracles. Maybe you're one of them today. And I've also read that that's still in the minority. Most Americans and most people in the world do believe, do believe in the supernatural. Now, you think about it for just a moment. Just, just bear with me. You think about it for just a moment. You're saying that you believe in a supernatural God, but you don't believe in supernatural works. Now, think about the irony to that for just a moment. Because most of us, and, and, and those who don't believe in miracles, look at us and say, well, you want to believe in miracles. That's the reason you believe in it. And we do. We do want to believe in miracles. Why do you think we have all the superhero movies today? You know, I got a little statistic for you. It's, it's kind of dated. But from 1990 to 1994, there were five movies in the theater that came out that were based on comic book heroes. Five of them. From 2010 to 2013, there were 35. And now there's such a, a plethora that we can't even talk about it. We can't even name it. And why? Well, we want to, we want to think to ourselves that there is something out there besides the natural. We want someone to come in and intervene in life in some way that would say this life is not, doesn't have to be mundane. It doesn't have to be usual. The problems that we have in life can be solved, and perhaps, as they need to be many times, in a supernatural way. And so we're going to look at this, and then we're going to come to a place where we're going to find that the key to have miracles in our own life is indeed having our heart belonging to Jesus Christ. Let's look at verse 1 as we look at the first miracle, and we look at the willing heart. Remember what I've said before. I've said this many times. When we pray to God, what do we want to know? We want to know, God, are you willing? That is, do you love me enough? Do you care enough to do anything about it? And secondly, what we want to know is, God, are you able to do it? And here, over and over and over again in the book of Matthew, we see these things addressed. First of all, I want you to see a willing heart in verse 1. And he came down to the mountain, and great crowds followed him. Behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will... You can make me clean. Didn't we say just that? God, if you're, if you're willing to do it, if you love me enough to do it, God, you can do this. Now, he believed in the power of God, and he believed in the power of Christ. He's already heard about the miracles that have already gone on and taken place, and now he's looking for a miracle for himself. Now, it's believed that leprosy could be called a lot of different things in the Bible, and it could be rather a lot of different diseases in the Bible. Basically, it's understood to be Hansen's disease, that we call it today. And Ken Gear describes the nature of this leprosy. It begins with little specks on the eyelids and on the palms of the hands. Then it spreads over the body. It bleaches the hair white. The skin then becomes discolored, crusting it with scales and uh, erupting over it with oozing sores. But that's not just what happens on the surface. 
penetrating the skin, the disease, like a moth, eats its way through the weave of nerves, uh, reticulating throughout the body tissue. Soon the body becomes numb. And this is the real key to leprosy. It becomes numb to the point of sensory deprivation, numb to both pleasure and pain. A toe can break and it will register no pain. And sensing, to, sensing no pain, the leper will continue walking, only to worsen the break and hasten the infection. One by one, the appendages of the leper suffer their fate against the hard edges of life. And so what happens, basically, when you're numb, you don't realize you stepped on a piece of glass. You don't realize that your face, many of you go to your face. I've already probably done it in this service, and now you're going to look for it the rest of the time. I know that. But, but you do that when you don't touch your face at all because if something itches, something irritates it, it's going to disintegrate. And not, Ken Gear does not explain that the mask that comes over people's faces is like a monster. Well, that's not all. They were considered ceremonial unclean. They were considered very contagious. And so therefore, they had to go off into a place without any physical touch. It was against the law Jewish law to touch them. You can imagine somebody going through this for up to nine years. Here's a man, maybe seven years, six, seven years, off in a cave by himself or off in a cave with other lepers. And he hears about Jesus and he, he braves it. He comes out covered over, hoping no one would see him because when they did see him, they would yell out, unclean, unclean, and people would run from him. Can you imagine the doctor telling him for the first time, that he had leprosy. You've got to go to the leper colony right now. Well, I just want to go home and say goodbye to my wife one last time. No, you can't do that. I just got, if I could just see my children one last time and tell them how much I love, no, you can't do that. You've got to go to the cave. You've got to go to the leper colony. And so he was there. And now he braves it out and says, God, you know, Christ, if you are willing, Jesus, if you are willing, you can make me whole. Well, we find this in the Bible more than any other disease to be a picture of sin in our life. What does sin do? It distorts the truth. It hurts relationships. We went over this last week about anger and resentment, bitterness, lust, theft, all, all the things that affect our relationships in a negative way. Not only our relationship with God, but also our relationship with one another really comes from this thing called sin. It causes blind spots in our life. We call them that. Addictions, a difference in uh, uh, personality, disposition. It numbs us to the truth. We look at ourselves and we think, I'm not so bad. I don't really need a Savior. And if I did, I, I barely need one while somebody else needs a lot of saving. You know, we're like the person that's in the leper colony and we're born there. And we look around and everyone has an ugly face. Everyone's limbs are broken off. And we look around and compare ourselves and say, we well, you know, I have all my fingers. I'm a lot better leper than that guy. I still have my feet. And we know nothing else until we go out and, and are exposed by the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it's a picture here. In fact, Isaiah 59 says this, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that he cannot save, or his ear dull, that he cannot hear. But your iniquities have, iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, and so he does not hear. And so we find in the Scripture where this disease is something that compares to us. 
and that is spiritual lepers. And so he asked the question, will you? I know you've got the power, but the only question in his mind, Jesus, are you willing? And in verse 2, he says, and behold, a leper came to him, knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone. He was trying to still uh, hide from the crowds in this point. He didn't want to gather too much, too many crowds. We'll find out why in just a moment. Show yourself to the priests and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. And this is just out of Leviticus 14. But he asked the question, God, are you willing? And Christ said, I am willing. I am willing to heal you. I'm willing to, this, here, listen. Jesus gave this man back his life. And notice he says, Lord, you can cleanse me. The man was more worried about the fact that he needed cleansing from deep within, the cause of it all, rather than just a healing on the outside. He wanted something great and marvelous to happen to him, and it was a need, a great need of desperation. And we come humbly before the Lord, and we ask God, God, will you heal me? God, will you heal my relationship? Will you forgive me? Can you save me? And you say, well, that's kind of a ridiculous thing to ask, Pastor. That last thing, can you really save me? I was once sharing Christ with a man, and as I was sharing with him, um, he, I could tell he wanted to make a decision. I could tell he wanted to tell me something. He was an older gentleman, and tears began to come down his face, and he wouldn't tell me. I said, look, you, you can tell me. You can tell me. Listen, what's going on? He says, God, there's no way God will ever save me. Not for what I've done. No way. And I was not able to convince him that no matter what your sin may be, God is willing to forgive. But all of us here want something more, something more than the mundane life. We want that, either that superhero to come in and save us, or we want some sort of supernatural power ourselves, don't we? You've seen that on social media. You know, if you were a superhero, what superpower would you have? We have this in our mind. If I could just somehow change life, God, if I had the power to overcome the circumstances in my life and just snap my finger, blink my eyes, twitch my nose, in the days of Bewitched, if I could just do those things, something, then life would be different for me. Well, we see in this passage that God is interested in performing miracles in our life, but the greatest thing of all is that we need a Savior, and he was willing to cleanse this man's life. I want you to notice, secondly, that he is also able. Look with me in, um, in verse 5. When he entered the uh, Capernaum, and this was a town that Jesus actually lived in quite a bit, he said, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him. Now, centurion comes from the word century, and he was the leader of a band of about 100 soldiers. He said, he came forward appealing to him, Lord, my servant is, par- is lying paralyzed at home, suffering, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. 
For I am too a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does that. When Jesus heard this, he was marveled and said to the, fo- the following to him, truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. Get the picture. He's walking along. He's on his journey, and he's interrupted again in, in his life, in his ministry. Here's a man from Capernaum. He was well thought of by the Jews, by the way. And if you look at the same story in Luke chapter 7, you'll find out that the Jews came to his defense when he approached Jesus because uh, he said, look, this man helped us build a synagogue. You know, he likes us, and we like him. And so here they're under Roman occupation, so they naturally would have Roman soldiers. This one came to him about a servant. And this, in the Greek word, it means a little child. Normally, Romans treated their slaves like animals. There was no different. They were a piece of property. And for some reason, this man, whose life has been changed by something, and God was working in his life in a big way, treated his, at least some of his servants, at least, at least this one, like family. And he says, look, and here's the key. You've got the authority, God. You've got, Jesus, you have. I recognize the fact that you have authority. He says, I understand authority. I have authority over me, and I have authority over 100 people, and these 100 soldiers, if I say go, they go. If I say stay, they stay. No questions asked. They're under my authority. So, Jesus, if you just say the word, my servant will be healed because you have that much authority in your life. I love, uh, back when I was uh, younger, we went to a conference called Basic Youth Conflicts, Maybe many of you have heard of that, Bill Gothard, and he brought out this great illustration about the umbrellas of authority that you've heard me use from time to time. And he said, in the family situation at least, there's God, there's uh, the husband, and then there's the wife, and then there's the children. Well, that's the, the umbrella of authority over every area of life. You have, a, you have a boss. Your boss usually has a boss. And then you have a boss. And then there, maybe there's people under you And if you're in the military, you really understand what this chain of command is all about. And he says, look, you you have it. The father has delegated this power, and that's what authority is, is delegated power. This, your father has delegated power and authority to you, so I know that you can even do this from a distance. And Jesus healed. Why? Because he was able. But look at the rest of the miracles as well. In fact, let's look first of all finish out this passage. He says, I tell you, verse 11, many will come cast from the east and the west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. While the sons of, and, and these are Abraham, Isaac, that's Jewish uh, uh, people that were their ancestors that started this, the whole thing out. It says, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown in the outer darkness in this place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, he said, Jesus said, go and let it be for you as you have believed, and the servant was healed that very moment. Jesus was not only able, he was not only willing, but he did it. He performed this miracle for this centurion, this non-Jew. Again, talking to the Jewish nation, saying, look, if you're from Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, hey, yeah, you're, many of you are going to go to heaven, but the centurion is going to be open to the ministry as well. A Roman, not just merely a Gentile, But a Roman, first an outcast, was offered the ministry of Jesus. 
then a centurion was offered the ministry of Jesus. And he says, look, some are going to make it. Others are going to go place with a, a, a gnashing of teeth. And, of course, it's talking about hell. And I know it's unpopular to, to preach on that. It would be easy for me to skip over those verses, but you'd notice it, wouldn't you? You'd notice that, wouldn't you? And I'm not going to air condition hell for you, all right? But I can tell you this. I don't know everything about it. I've never been there. hope never to go there. But one of the reasons why I believe that you and I are not motivated enough in the sense of urgency of sharing our faith is that we either don't believe this or we never think about it. I remember a friend of mine witnessing to someone who was telling me the story and uh, he said he'd been knowing this guy for a while. Finally got around to sharing Christ with him. And the guy looked at him and said, you don't, you don't believe all that stuff about heaven and hell? He said, yeah, I do. It's right here in the Bible. I believe it. Really, I do. He says, no, you don't. He says, no, I do. He says, then why have you waited so long to share Christ with me if you thought I was going to hell? He said, if I thought you were going to hell, I, I mean, you're a good enough friend. I would have told you almost right off the bat about Jesus Christ and how you can be saved. He said, well, scaring people, you can't scare people into heaven, and I agree with that for the most part. But I remember a, a guy that I pastored in my first church. He's a mechanic. I went over and, and, and got my car worked on quite a bit. And uh, I remember he sold me sausage and plastic bags. He killed pigs and would uh, do that. It was a country church. I can tell you what. If you want to lay off sausage for the rest of your life, kill a pig and put about... I don't know, 40 pounds of sausage in plastic bags and look through those plastic bags and you will never eat sausage again. But anyway, he was telling me his testimony and he said one night he had a dream and he was walking toward, he walked in the backyard and he saw this big ditch and he says fire was coming up. He said, I was walking toward it and I couldn't help myself. I was walking toward it, walking toward it, walking toward it and I knew I was, once I hit the cliff, I was going to go in, and I was going to die. And I cried out to God, God, help me. Help me. Save me. And he woke up. Well, there's a man that got scared into heaven. He's there today. So it does make a difference. But I realize that that does get people's attention, but it doesn't. The only, only thing that really can save them is the gospel message of Jesus Christ. But it wakes them up. But I believe that all this was set in the Bible in order not to scare them, but to scare us. Listen, I, I look out this auditorium this morning, and I can tell you what, I love you enough to say this. I, I don't want anybody going ahead there. Not a one of you. Breaks my heart to do a funeral where I can't say for sure, in my own, at least as much as I can say, I know this person's with Jesus. And I've done a few like that. So I don't want anyone going there. But we see the miracles that's taking place. Just let's move on to verse 14. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever, and he touched her hand. Now, I didn't say anywhere where Peter prayed for his mother-in-law. I just thought I'd bring that out. <laughs> I mean, I noticed that right off the bat. You know, where's Peter's concern for his mother-in-law here? I, I don't know. But anyway... 
<laughs> yeah. He touched her hand and the fever left her. And she rose and began to serve him. Now notice that women were kind of like an outcast too in a way. They were considered second-class citizens back in this time. Then that evening brought him to many, many oppressed by demons. He had, he had power over the supernatural. And he cast out the spirits with a word, and he healed all those who were sick. This was to fill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. All the other miracles. And so why? Why did he do this? Have you ever thought about this? If all Jesus did was do this to show who he was, why didn't he fly? Why didn't he go through walls? X-ray vision, you know? Well, let's find out why. It was a designed purpose in all this. There's evidence, first of all, of who he is. And that was one of the things. John calls all these miracles signs because they were given in order to show that Jesus Christ is the Christ. He is the Messiah. Matthew keeps coming back, fulfill prophecy, fulfill prophecy. Why would he do that? Because he's showing the Jewish audience that this is the Christ, the one they've been waiting for all their lives. Then we find in the sermon, in this sermon, there's evidence of how he feels. Because again, if it was just a superhero thing, I mean, we've got superheroes everywhere, right? I mean, Leap tall buildings with a single bound. Who's that? Who? Superman. Superman. The incredible. The guy with the hammer. The lady with the wristbands that could, uh, you know, repel. One. Man, y'all know more about the superheroes than you do the Bible. No, really, I was thinking some of you wouldn't know who these folks were, but, you know, some of you are still watching Andy Griffith. I understand that on TV, but <laughs> nevertheless, what about the guy swimming around and, and has, uh, you know, Aquaman? Well, that, that was just out, so that's kind of cheating. But anyway, yeah, there was a, if Jesus was just doing all this, man, he could have take, taken his big hammer. He could have grown up to a big green monster, walked through the cities of, city of Jerusalem and said, hey, I, I, I'm the one. Look at the miracle I'm performing. But you see, there was a design behind the miracles, not only to show that he was the Christ, but also an evidence of how he feels about things. He heals Jesus' mother-in-law. He casts the demons out of people that we don't even know their names. Why? Because he cared. It pointed to his ministry of compassion. He loved these people. Every single miracle that we find was an act of compassion an act of alleviating suffering in someone's life. And it points the way to his ministry, points back to creation on how things would have been, should have been before Adam sinned against God. It points to his ministry in the future and the book of Revelation where every tear is going to be dried up, every sin is going to be taken away, all the suffering is going to be gone. And it points to our ministry right now. Jesus was saying, as long as I'm here on earth, any time I run across suffering, I'm going to cure it. I'm going to alleviate it. We too, as ministers of God, are there to alleviate suffering, feeding the hungry, praying for the suffering of the world, protecting life. But the greatest thing of all 
is a spiritual suffering that people are going through. Remember what the leper said. Lord, he didn't say heal me. He said cleanse me. The greatest thing that we could ever do for someone is to lead them to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. But there's also an evidence of what he really desires in our life. And so here's the conclusion of it. He says, look, here's the three miracles. Here's the conclusion. Now, when Jesus, <coughs> excuse me, when Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. Again, it's crowded. You know, the, the um, leper told, told on him. And so now all the people gather around for all the needs. He says, too crowded. He said, I got to have some alone time. They went over to the other side and a scribe came up and said to him, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Big deal here. The scribe was a Jewish leader, and he would be now under persecution from the Jewish leaders because of what he said. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have their nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. What was he saying to us? He said, look, if you want to follow me, you leave it all behind and follow me. Did he say, empty your bank account? That's not what it's saying. You say, leave your family? It's not what it's saying. It's saying that what you have, you recognize, is not your own. That you are a steward of everything, including the gospel message, including the time that you spend, as we'll give an account for that. He says basically here, give your heart. Give your heart to the Lord. Um, Mike Gilchrist was a great evangelist. He's been here at our church on a number of occasions before he passed away. He tells a story about how he preached this sermon on giving it all to God. Even your material possessions, just give it all to God. And he said when he got back to his hotel room, the door was open. He opened it up, and everything in the room was gone, including his suits. So the only thing he had was what he had wearing. And he was reminded about the whole sermon he just preached. And he said, well, God, somebody stole your suits. (laughs) And that's what he's talking about here. That you leave those things behind with no reserves. It's taking your hand off your life. We just come back to that, don't we? There are people here today that are saying, I've been praying that God would take away this addiction for my heart for my life. He can do that. I've been praying that God would change this about me because it's just messing up my life. God can do that. You continue to pray about those things. But the greatest thing you can do is just say, God, in the foundation to it all, I'm just taking my hands off my life. He said, well, I can't do that. I just can't. I don't have that much faith. How do I get that much faith? How everybody else has gotten that much faith. You take the word of God and you read it for all it's worth every day. All you can read it. Pray. Worship. Do the things that are going to get you to that point of saying, God, I'm taking my hands off my own life. I'm desperate to change. and I, I, I assume that you're going to be working. I'm praying that you're going to be working in these other areas of my life. But the main thing is, I just want to be yours. From my deep, the deepest recesses of my heart, from the foundations of my life, I'm just going to concentrate not on you taking away the negative, but on me trusting the positive, on me trusting in you.
He goes on to explain it. Another one of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. So, man, this is cruel. Man, it's bad. No, it's not. Back in that day, just because you were going to bury your father doesn't mean he was dead right then. If he had been dead, you, you know that Jesus would, yeah, go ahead and have the funeral. I'll see you in a couple of days. I'm going, to be, I'm going to be hanging out anyway in Capernaum. Sure, go ahead. No, but <clears throat> Jesus knew his father wasn't dead. The idea back in this day was you hung around with your parents and you took care of them, and therefore you earned your inheritance. This man said, look, let my dad die first. Let me get my inheritance, and then I'll follow you. And Jesus said, that's not what I just said, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. So you give your life with no retreat. I love what Jim Cimbala said in Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire. In the times, if the times are indeed as bad as we say they are, if the darkness in our world is growing heavier by the moment, if we are facing spiritual battles right in our own homes and churches, then we are foolish not to turn to the one who supplies unlimited grace and power. Now here's the difference. Look in verse 17 as I close. This was to fulfill that was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. You know what that says to me? That says, there, there, there it is right there, the difference between the superheroes and Jesus. When you're a superhero, it makes you invulnerable. In fact, I don't know if you'll agree with this or not. When I was young, my hero was Superman. I mean, five, six years old we're talking about, you know. Now, <clears throat> now excuse me, when I watch a Superman movie, it's not even interesting. I mean, it's the same movie, right? The only thing that can get him is kryptonite. And if you don't have the kryptonite, he is invulnerable. There is no one no superhero that can compete. None. He's invulnerable. Jesus' powers make him vulnerable. They make him killable. And when he came to this earth, and he said, and, and he was delegated the authority from heaven, it was pointed to the cross the entire way. He says in this, he says, he bore our diseases, the disease of sin primarily. Jesus has a vulnerability. And that's what it's saying here. And his vulnerability, if I can put it that way, is you and me. That's where he's vulnerable. Satan knew that even in the temptations. He knew that all throughout his life, tempting him to come down off the cross. But we are his vulnerability. He died there on the cross and made himself killable so he could take our sin on the cross, our sins on his body. Let's pray. As we bow before the Lord, I'm going to ask you to do a couple of things here. First of all, I just uh, want to talk to every believer. Can you say you've taken your hands off your own life? And whatever it is, God, I'm just taking my hands off my life. Have you done that? Would you do that? You say, well, well I don't feel like doing that. 
I just don't think I can do that. I don't feel motivated to do that. Well, would you say to right now to God, Lord, I want to be there. I, I want to take my hands off my own life. And so I'm going to commit by your grace to read the Bible. And I'm going to, maybe just a chapter a day, but I'm going to read it until really I'm satisfied. And I pray that you speak through your words, speak through my prayer life and, and, and speak to me about you and draw me close to you like I've never been before. Like maybe nobody's ever been before. Take me there. And then those who have never received Christ, I'm going to invite you right now to pray this prayer with me silently as I pray aloud. Pray with me. Lord God, thank you for sending Christ to die on the cross for me. Thank you for making him vulnerable for me. And I open up my heart right now. I ask you to come in. I pray that you forgive me of everything that I've done. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. You can find more sermons and other information at